as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with one, each, one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds us together in, in perfect unity. Pastor Darrell just, just read those words, and I was, I was reminded this week that, that those virtues, compassion, kindness, humility, patience, and, and, and gentleness, we have to practice those things. They don't always come naturally. We have to practice them, to, to work our, our muscles of kindness, to, to practice and prepare to, to love others when, when time is difficult. I'm sure most of us can think of a, a time we've had a, a disagreement with a, a family member. Raise your hand if you've ever had a disagreement with a family member. The rest of you are lying. I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, a family member or, or a friend or someone close to you. So a, a time when, when we lashed out at them or they lashed out at us. And for whatever reason, it, it tends to be the people with whom we are closest that we can be harshest toward. Right? We, we don't hold anything back because we know them and they, they know us. And so we, we tend to just kind of let it all fly. And sometimes that's hurtful. Hurtful. A young child screams, I hate you, at a loving parent. Ouch. A sibling points out our deficiencies. A best friend is brutally honest in a way that's not necessarily helpful or kind. It all stings. This afternoon, uh, before flying to meet our high school students in Colorado tomorrow, I'm heading to San Diego to officiate the memorial service of one of my, my best friend's moms. And uh, as I was talking with my friend Adam and his sister on Thursday night, as we were, we were planning the service, they both mentioned their mom's resilience. She put herself through college. She moved from Massachusetts to the West Coast with, with nothing, knowing no one. And she pretty much fought for everything she had along the way. Even in the last couple years of her life, as she struggled with Alzheimer's, she, she battled. And her battle often involved restoring broken relationships, seeking and finding reconciliation with her ex-husband, with a sibling, with an estranged friend. We're spending time this summer looking at some of the Psalms, and one of the things that I really, really appreciate about the Psalms is they give us language to express our faith, language to use when we don't have it just kind of naturally, it doesn't just come to us, to talk about what we're going through in our, our faith journey. This morning, we're, we're looking at a Psalm that is, is more or less a reconciliation Psalm. A psalm that, that helps us to reconcile uh, with one another, to helps us to, to seek reconciliation w with God. It was written after Nathan approached King David about his inappropriate uh, relationship with, with Bathsheba. And you can hear in this psalm 
David wrestling with brokenness. David wrestling with hurt. David wrestling with, with pain. There's regret, confusion, a desire to be made new again. Hear these words out of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop. And I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There was a, a popular book that came out about 20 years ago that was, was really popular uh, among college students and those who had just graduated from college. The, the title of the book was, was Blue Like Jazz. It's the coming of age or, or spiritual deconstruction and reconstruction story of the author whose name is Donald Miller. Much of the book is him reflecting on his experience at, at Reed College in Oregon. And at Reed College, it was, it was particularly difficult for him to live out his faith. And Miller, in a part of the book, he tells the story of something that happened at the Ren Fair. The Ren Fair is a, a campus-wide festival that involves absolutely everything you could imagine a massive college party involving. And he joked with his Christian friends that were trying to figure out how do we do this thing? How do we, we, we live out this Christian faith in this, this place? How, how does it look? He, he was joking with them and he said, you know what? We should set up a confession booth in the middle of the Ren Fair. In the middle of the college party, we should set up a confession booth so that when everyone goes and sins, they have a place to come and confess what they just did. He totally said it tongue-in-cheek, and one of his friends, who, who he refers to as Tony the Beat Poet, jumped at the idea. He jumped at the idea, but he had a twist on the idea. And he said this, 
We are going to confess to them. We are going to confess to them. We are going to confess that as followers of Jesus, we have not been very loving. We have been bitter, and for that we are sorry. We will apologize for the Crusades. We will apologize for the televangelists who steal people's money. We will apologize for neglecting the poor and the lonely. We will ask them to forgive us. And we will tell them that in our selfishness, we have misrepresented Jesus on this campus. We will tell them who come into the booth that Jesus loves them. So Miller and his his friends, they actually did this. They they actually set up the booth in the middle of the party. And then they, they took turns sitting in the booth confessing to those who were willing to come in and, and, and listen. They, they confessed the ways that Christians had misrepresented Christ in the world. And, and Miller concludes that he was changed through this process. That he himself was changed in the act of confessing to others. And they were changed as well. The reality is when we take part in the act of reconciliation, we are changed and the person that we're talking with, the person we've wronged. Think of all those disagreements that you've had with family members and friends. When you actually sit down and take the time to say, you know what? I'm sorry. To have that, that difficult conversation to say, you know what? I was wrong. Or to be on the receiving end of that conversation and to hear, I'm sorry, I was wrong. We are changed through the act of reconciliation. When we're honest with the need to mend what's broken with our friends, with members of our family, in our own church community, and in our personal lives, we begin to find restoration and renewal. Today's psalm is almost a a journal entry, I mentioned, a journal entry of someone reflecting on this process of reconciliation, this process of confession. David had been caught up in a, a destructive pattern, digging himself into a deeper hole with each and every step that he took. Lust led to an abuse of power, which led to adultery, then deception, and eventually murder. He tried to cover his tracks, but eventually it all caught up to him, and he is confronted by it all. He had to confront it all. 2 Samuel 12, it tells the story of how this confrontation takes place. Nathan, who is one of David's closest friends, one of his most trusted advisors, goes to him and tells him a parable about about two men who live in the same town. One of these men is poor, and the other one is wealthy. The poor man, the only thing that he owns is a young, a young sheep, a, a young, young sheep. And, and the guest comes to town to visit the rich man. And instead of using one of the many cattle or sheep that he has, he goes to the poor man and he takes his sheep to prepare dinner for the guest that is in town. King David lashes out as he's, as Nathan's telling this parable, King David lashes out and he, and he says, well, we've got to find this man. We've got to make him pay for what he did. And Nathan says, you are that man. Ouch. Ouch. You are that man. 
He goes on to talk about all the ways David found favor in God's eyes, how, how David had it all, and how he threw it all away at the expense of his neighbor. In 2 Samuel, we're told David acknowledged the sin, but in Psalm 51, we, we see kind of the, the, the thought process that he had as he got to that place where he could actually seek reconciliation. It's a process that we can, we can learn from, a process that we can apply to our lives today. Uh, David, he, 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 he cries out for mercy according to God's unfailing love, according to God's compassion. Now in the Hebrew here, in the Hebrew language, there's some, some imagery that we don't quite see in English of a, a steadfast love of a father and of, of the tender heart of a mother. And, and David's trying to say that's who God is, the steadfast love, the consistency of a loving father and the tender heart of a mother. That captures who, who God is. But, but the depth of David's cry here it really is found and communicated through the three verbs that he uses. Blot, wash, purify. Now, we don't use the word blot too often uh, today, but it carries the imagery of, of an eraser being wiped across a ledger. Or maybe a more appropriate uh, connection to today's world is the delete button on a keyboard just being hit repeatedly over and over and over again. So maybe one of the reminders here is the act of confession is something that is ongoing over and over and over again, being blotted out over and over and over again. Being washed clean carried the connotation of, of laundry. Really, it carried the connotation of laundry. It makes me think of how often we have to do laundry in our house. There's five of us and a dog in our house. If we don't do laundry a load or two a day, those piles, they pile up very, very quickly. Again, it's a reminder of needing to be washed consistently over and over again. Purifying was connected to the refining process of precious metal. So, so blotting, washing, and purifying. As David asks God to blot, wash, and purify his sins, he's acknowledging his wrongdoing. Now in 2 Samuel, it doesn't look like he, he grasps, quite grasps the degree of, of the failure. But at the start of the psalm, it's clear that he knows he was in the wrong. We know he was haunted by it, that he was weighed down by guilt. He, he writes, my sin is always before me. It is haunting me. The, the first step of healing, the first step of, of reconciliation is admitting that we have screwed up. Admitting our wrongdoing. And while our failure might not be quite as drastic as David's, we've, we've all blown it in some way, shape, or form. And my question for us this morning is have we been honest with the people whom we've wronged? Have we? Have we recognized the places that we've been wrong? Have we owned them? This psalm reminds us of the need to admit it all, even when it hurts. Now, it's human nature to sweep it all under the rug or, or to even blame others 
And when we finally admit I was wrong, or as David cried out to Nathan, I am that man, yes, it's me, that healing begins. In Psalm 51, verse 7 and 8, he he continues the imagery of cleansing. He says, purge me with hyssop, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. The cleansing is partnered with joy and with gladness. Now, this, this image of purging is an intense one. It, it was commonly used during this time in, in the way that a, a, a leper's house was, was cleaned before somebody else could go into it. it. It makes me think of what we saw a couple of years ago when COVID first hit and how diligent we were being with wiping down absolutely everything before we either, either brought it into our house or we went into an, another place. Now, hyssop, it was the, the plant used wherever purification was needed for, for, for blood, quite frankly. So it was, it was used with spreading the blood of the Passover land on the doorposts of the Hebrew people during Passover in Egypt. The sort of cleaning David is asking for is a, a deep cleanse. And the repetition of that cleansing, the repetition of that cleansing, the repetition of the use of those cleansing words in this psalm reveals both his remorse and his honesty. He knew he couldn't get right on his own. At verse 10, the, the psalm shifts from confession to, to this, this call for renewal or a sense of, of renewal. The middle section, it includes six prayers and a promise. David prays, create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me and uphold me. The same word that David uses here for create to launch the sequence of, of prayers is, is, is the word that's used for creation in the Genesis story and the creation of the world. It's David saying, start over, start over in me. Give me a second chance. Please, God. That's David's prayer. Where might you need to ask that same thing? Where might you need to say that same sort of prayer? God, Give me a second chance. Create something anew in me. David's desire is to live in the presence of God. And he knows that his sin has kept him from doing so. Now there's a bit of a parallel here in the third chapter of John in the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. That, that start over, be, be made new again. Jesus tells him that no one can be a part of God's kingdom unless what? How well do we know the gospel of John? He's being born again. Unless you've been born again, you can't engage God's kingdom. You need a fresh start. To borrow Paul's language, a new creation. For David and for us, being in the presence of God is an invitation to be completely vulnerable and to open ourselves up in order that we might start over again. The idea of renewal. Whenever there's a, a difficult day in, in our family, uh, say we've had one of those disagreements that I was talking about earlier, uh, I often struggle to, to, to let go of the tension. I'm a guy. It's one of those things. I want to win. I want to be right. But if you ask me if I've ever won an argument with my wife, um, I will say, no, I have not. 
And Haley will often remind me that as I struggle at at night to let go of that that tension, that tomorrow is a new day. Tomorrow is, is a new day. There will be more opportunities. Where do you need a fresh start? Is there anything that you're, you're holding on to that you need to let go of? Today's a new day. This is a new week. Maybe today's the day that you let it go. And then as David writes in verse 13, after we find renewal, we are able to commit ourselves to, to teaching others. When we experience renewal, we invite others to be a part of the renewal as well. The end of the psalm is both a request for ongoing deliverance and and really this this call for continual restoration. Eugene Peterson translates the last verses like this. Unbutton my lips, dear God. I'll let loose with your praise. Going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lives ready for love don't for a moment escape God's notice. Make Zion the place you delight in. Repair Jerusalem's broken down walls. Then you'll get real worship from us. Acts of worship, small and large. We get the sense that David finds joy the moment he stops putting up a front, the moment that he stops pretending. He's finally able to be himself, to be vulnerable. One of the commentaries I read said that if David is to worship rightly, God must work within him by grace. Grace forgives us and grace evokes our response. David learned to worship as his pride is shattered and he he stopped just simply going through the motions. What might that look like for us? Us as individuals, what might that look for our church community? Is there anywhere in your faith journey where it just kind of feels like you're going through the motions? Is there anything you might need to let go of in order to experience God's grace? As David kind of breathes his sigh of relief in this psalm, he's able to approach God just as he has wounds and all. As he receives grace and is renewed, he's able to encourage others to accept grace and to be renewed as well. My hope for this church is that we would be a community that commits to constant renewal, to constant reconciliation, that it would never be something we grow tired of pursuing with one another, with those outside the walls of our church, and with God. Let's pray. Create in us, O God, clean hearts and a loyal spirit. We confess that we are in need of your grace, that we are in need of your mercy. Blot out our sin, wash away our guilt, purify us. In order that we might be reconciled to you, and in order that we might be ambassadors of reconciliation in this world. We pray these things in your name. Amen.